0: Welcome to episode 39 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today's episode, we're going to go a bit deeper into what patriarchy is and how it affects the church. I really felt God leading me in the direction of doing this episode and I don't pretend to have all the answers and I felt actually honestly pretty nervous about talking about it, but I still think it's worth exploring I think it's important to be obedient to God even when we're nervous or fearful of something, so we're going to talk about this today. And we're especially going to be exploring the harm patriarchy does to the church, even if I don't have all the answers and even if I don't even know all the ways that this manifests itself. I do want to give a quick content warning to anybody who might be sensitive to a discussion of abuse especially abuse by the church. So I will not go into depth on different types of abuse or anything like that, but I will be mentioning and talking about the harmful effects of abuse by the church. So I just wanted to give you a quick warning about that in case you want to skip this episode or listen in the presence of different people. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, millennial, welcome to the revival podcast for millennial women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface-level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. God, thank you so much that you direct us, that you lead us, that you work within us, even though we are undeserving and even though we are so (laughs) ill-equipped, you are the one who gives us what we need. You give us the truth and you are so faithful and so loving. And I pray that we would follow you to greater and greater extents. And I pray that you would expose in our hearts the things that need to be unlearned. And I pray that we would instead learn your truth and your wisdom and your love, and that we would show that to people to a greater extent. And I pray also, God, that you would speak through me and that you would let your words and your Holy Spirit do the moving and the working, and that I would just be here to obey you. Please, God, work within our hearts and minds and souls. And thank you for this opportunity to do a podcast. In Jesus name. Amen. I thought it might be worthwhile to go back to the definition of patriarchy. I did talk about it in a previous episode, but after a lot of time looking at different articles and also just listening to sermons and different things like that, I think that there's actually a lot of misunderstanding about what patriarchy is. So it's important to start this episode with a clear definition, which will then lead us into two ways that patriarchy actually harmfully affects the church. And I'm not talking about my specific church or anything like that, but I just mean the church as a whole in the United States, probably leaning more towards the evangelical church. So let's revisit what patriarchy is. If I'm just putting, you know, in simple words, my own kind of definition, I would say it's a system that puts power in the hands of men at the expense of women. So it really is about a power issue. It has an authority issue. It has an issue of who has decision-making power, whose words and actions can affect the people around them. To me, that's really what patriarchy comes down to. However, I did Google it so we could get an official definition from the Oxford Dictionary. And they gave us two definitions that I think are relevant to what we're talking about today, but one is more relevant. So the first one, Is not one we're going to talk about too much today, but it is something to keep in mind, especially when you're reading the Bible, because the first definition was literally the case during a lot of what was going on in the Bible and during a lot of the history of our world. So it is a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line. Again, I'm not going to get into like the way that things have have gone through family lines and and the history of uh, males having power. I'm not going to get too much into that, but that is an interesting definition that we should keep in mind. The definition I'm going to be speaking to more today is the second definition that I'll share right now. So it's quote, a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it end quote. So I think that this is a really good definition. And I think it causes us, like I said, to really look at who holds the power. Because patriarchy is actually everywhere. It's in our social systems to either greater or lesser extents, depending on what the system is. It's in our institutions. It's in our brains. It's in our vocabulary. It it really exists everywhere. So I think it is important to think about the power that this has, the power that the legacy of men having power for so long still holds over us today in all kinds of different institutions. So I know that this is kind of a broad overarching definition. It can be hard to kind of understand how that manifests itself. So I'll just give one very practical, very brief example that is not church related so that if you're not sure still what that looks like you can kind of get more of an idea of what I'm talking about. So this is a very obvious example, but women actually make up about slightly more, but about 50% of the United States population. Yet when I looked it up, only 27% of our elected representatives that are actually in Congress making decisions that affect the laws of our country, only 27% of them are women. Okay, so who holds the power in Congress? It's supposed to be the people, of course, but largely it's the elected men who are better able to make the rules and the laws that actually govern both men and women in our country because they simply hold the majority of the power. So a male perspective, what it's like to grow up with the privileges of a man in society in the United States is going to affect the laws that govern Both men and women. It's going to affect the legislation. It's going to affect the money and where the money of our government goes, even though that money is taken from the taxpayers of both men and women as well. So that's one small example. And to just kind of expand to patriarchy is not just the fact that men hold the power, but it's also this underlying set of beliefs, this ideology that really supports patriarchy and allows it to continue even in our present time the specifics of this ideology can really vary based on the culture and the institution and where people are coming from but it usually comes down to one of two things that would support or maybe justify a male dominated society or institution so usually it's either this ideology that there's a perceived no i use the word perceived deficiency of women there's something that women can't do there's something that they're deficient in. They don't have the ability for whatever it is. Usually it's tied to something ridiculous like women's emotions or something like that. But there's some kind of deficiency in women that they're not able to handle the power or shouldn't have the power, something like that. Now, the other ideology that I often see is that there's a perceived superiority of men in some way. Sometimes it's oh, men are more logical, men are better able to handle XYZ, men have higher education, I don't know, whatever it is. Usually it can be dressed up in any kind of polite language and we all, I hope, know examples of that. And this polite language, it really makes it sound less offensive, but it's still patriarchy. It's still this ideology that upholds the systems that we have now that are, in very practical ways, affecting men and women in our country. And sometimes we don't even realize that some of the beliefs that we have are patriarchal beliefs, that they are that they subscribe to this ideology, and sometimes we don't even see how that can affect us until someone is able to point that out for us, which is interesting to note. Now I want to go back for a second to the idea of power, and let's get this moving in the direction of the church. Who holds the power in a church? Hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, my friends, it's God, okay? I do believe that God is all-powerful, of course, and I hope that our church leaders are actually following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that's that's the hope and the prayer and the goal, right? But beyond that, I think it's still important to recognize that people are actually the ones that are making decisions, and that when they make decisions for a church, it really, really matters, even if you're not aware of the decisions that your church is making, even if you're not aware of of the processes that are put into place and even maybe who your elders are or who has influence over the church across America as a whole, the decisions that these people make affect the culture and society that we interact with. It affects the institutions and what opportunities are open to us. It affects who has the power in the church. It affects how people are represented in the Bible, how the Bible's read, the interpretations, the hermeneutics that are done, the the exegesis, right? All of that matters. And it's also important to recognize that every single human being, ourselves included, have sin. We all have blind spots, things we cannot see. It's a problem when the people who are most able to lead the church make decisions that affect the whole congregation and who determine the policies and beliefs and sermons when they're not listening to women, when women aren't even involved in that process. I would contend it's a problem that there aren't any women in decision-making power at all in some churches. That is my conviction the more that I've been doing this research. I see the effects of this problem in all kinds of different manifestations, but wherever you stand on that, even if you don't agree with that, I would like to point out that when women aren't in the room where decisions are being made, whether they're in a leadership role or not, when they're not in that room, it hurts the church and it has the effect of perpetuating patriarchy. Like I said before, I don't pretend to see all of the various manifestations of patriarchy in the church. I can't see them all because I have my own blind spots, things that I'm not able to see. But as I'm doing research, those are being more and more unveiled before my eyes. But I know of at least two ways that we're seeing patriarchy affect the church that I want to unpack a little bit today. The first is that the church tends to protect men at the expense of women. I cannot even count the number of times that the church has left women out to dry. The number of times women have been harmed, abused, or misused by the church. But I assure you that God does. He knows exactly how many women have been harmed by his own people. And if that number includes you, I just from from my heart, I just want to say I'm really I'm so sorry. And I want to offer these words. God hasn't forgotten you. He sees you. He knows what they've done to you. And he's not okay with the sin that was committed against you. He loves you. And he is actually with you. And I also want to point out, That any church leaders who have abused you will be held accountable by a righteous God. Even if it feels like that person has gotten away with it in this lifetime, even if that person has been protected by the church so that they can't face the consequences of their sin, I want to assure you that God is righteous and just, and he is faithful. And he will hold the person accountable. He cares about what happened to you. Also as a warning... I want to remind us of James chapter three, verse one, and it tells us that, quote, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, End quote. And I think that this verse should really keep all of us humble, every single one of us. But sometimes I think that leaders, instead of being humbled by this, they get too comfortable, maybe too self-assured maybe too prideful, and some even start to believe, I think, that the words of God don't apply to them, but I assure you that they do, and I I pray that God would be your comfort and that in him that you would be able to find healing for the, the abuse that was done to you, the harm that was done to you. Now, with that being said, I would want to expand on this point a little bit just to give more parameters and understanding to what I'm talking about. I also want to give you a resource. If you want a more thorough history of the abuses that have been made by male leaders against female members of their churches across the evangelical churches in the United States, I would highly recommend the last chapter of Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Cobes-Dumay. I'll link her book in the show notes in case you're interested. It's a really good book. But in that chapter, she goes into the history of how so many male leaders have unfortunately and historically protected other male leader abusers, and then rejected, blamed, or in some way uh, otherwise harmed survivors and victims. So the idea is that these male church leaders have used their power to harm either sexually, physically, verbally, emotionally, or spiritually women in their church. And then other church leaders, instead of exposing that and bringing the sin out for people to see and and for the person to be held accountable and for them to reckon with the consequences of what they've done. Instead, the church has chosen frequently, a disturbing amount of frequency, to cover that person's abuses so that no one can see it. And the evangelical church has a long and very disturbing history of hiding abuse, covering it up, allowing it to continue unchecked. With little to no consequences for the abuser. No kind of correction. No kind of accountability. And in some cases, the person committed a crime. No kind of reporting to the authorities. So am I saying that this practice is in every single evangelical church? No, I'm not. But please hear me on this point. It is a pattern. It's been a pattern. And since it's a pattern, there are women all over this country not to mention other countries, who have been deeply wounded by male church leaders. They're ha- there victims who have been blamed, ignored, turned aside, told that, that they had to stop sinning, or they were forced to forgive their abusers without those same abusers being held accountable. There are so many things that have been done to survivors of this type of abuse. And honestly, <laughs> don't even get me started. On how covering up abuse in the church actually hurts the witness of their church far more than if we had just told the truth. Far more than if we had just held the abusers accountable. But that's really a topic for another episode. One that I would want to spend more time on. Some women have actually not been victims of abuse in the strict sense of the word, but have faced discrimination in countless of other ways. For example, maybe their ideas or contributions have been snubbed or ignored by their leaders. Maybe they've been silenced using quote-unquote biblical reasons. Maybe they've been told they don't have the depth of understanding or the education or they're not smart enough or they're not spiritual enough or they're not something enough to be able to give input or to be taken seriously in the church. Maybe they've been told it's not even appropriate for women to speak in the church, for their ideas to be taken into consideration. And I think, again, that when we don't have women in the room where decisions are being made, these abuses will continue in small ways, in big ways, in every type of way, in ways that even the most well-meaning male leaders will never see, yet will continue to perpetuate. And this really leads into my second point. Women are not in the room where decisions are being made to the detriment of the entire church. I've got a few examples for you, but this is just a few. There are probably many, many more that I didn't think of, and I really want to present them in the terms of a question, something to get us thinking. The first one is this. How can stories of women in the Bible be understood with any degree of accuracy and with any degree of depth when women cannot participate in the sermon writing or editing process? when women are not involved in the feedback process before a sermon is preached, even if the women are not themselves allowed to preach? And how can men speak to the experiences of a people group they have not consulted? In some churches, women are about half of the attenders. In some churches, women are more than half. And how can their experiences be spoken to with a degree of depth and nuance when women are not involved in the sermon writing process? What happens when our sermons are written from a male perspective for a male audience? What does that do to our church? And I am not for one second suggesting that even one woman can speak to the diversity of women and their experiences. Of course not. But even one woman in that process could make some positive impact. I would hope for more than that. I would hope that we could be held to a higher standard than that, but it's one small step that could be taken. And maybe this would also allow for the telling of more women's stories in the Bible. To the glory of God, women are in the Bible for a reason, and their stories should be preached. They show us insight into who Jesus and God are too. Second set of questions. How can the church meet the needs of diverse women when we're not in the room where decisions are being made? And this goes beyond sermon writing. This goes into all avenues of ministry, sermons, ministries, when it comes to crafting doctrine and theology, and just generally making decisions for the church. How much more fully realized could the will and mission and love of God, how much more could it be realized if women were part of the process? We are image bearers of God too. We are. And we are diverse and different and beautiful and wonderful. And God made us for a reason. And it doesn't make sense to me that we're not in the room where decisions are being made for the church, the church that affects us, the church that guides our spiritual formation. This third set of questions that I want to present has really been weighing on my heart a lot recently. It really has. And I hope that we can all think about this. Think about our local context in our church. Think about the global church. Think about the church across the United States. Think about the evangelical church or whatever string of churches or networks or denominations you're a part of. And here are the questions. How can male leaders unlearn their own sexism, their own patriarchal beliefs, when women are not allowed to correct them? When women are not allowed to teach them? What happens when these male church leaders are actually not seeking out this type of accountability? What happens when they assume that they are not patriarchal or sexist or misogynistic in some way? And because of that, these beliefs go unexamined. And because of that, the church is harmed. I think women need to be in the room, period. <laughs> Even if your church doesn't allow women to have a meaningful leadership role or one with any kind of church power, I still think the voices of women need to be in the room. I think they need to be sought out in a meaningful way, not in some token way, not in some, oh, we checked a box kind of a way, but in a genuine effort to understand, in a genuine effort to include women in a genuine effort to correct the harms that have been done by the church. Because I really do believe that we all have patriarchy to unlearn. Men, women, everybody. Patriarchy actually manifests itself in so many ways and so many policies, so many social interactions, and so much of what women experience in daily life and in the church. So all of us, men, women, everybody, have work to do in uncovering the patriarchy within ourselves, how it affects us, how it shapes our thoughts and feelings towards things. And I am included in this. I didn't see it for a long time. But I am waking up now and I'm seeing it and I'm calling it out for what it is. Because speaking the truth matters to God. The oppression of women matters to God. And I think that there's a real danger, a real, real danger when we deny that we have patriarchy to unlearn, or if we think we've arrived at no longer holding any influences or beliefs that were rooted in patriarchy. I think when that happens, we become actually really blind. We stop seeing how we are complicit. We stop unlearning patriarchy. And I think when we say, oh, we've arrived, we're not patriarchal, I think it's a cop out of doing the work because the work is not easy and it's not comfortable. And it's sad a lot of the time. But I really believe it's better for us to assume that we've got some deeply rooted patriarchal beliefs, every single one of us, so that we can keep a lookout for them and bring them before God for renewal. We can repent of believing it and we can repent of the effect our belief has had on ourselves and other people and we can heal by the grace of God. He is a faithful God. He is faithful to renew and make us new in him. I know that this is a really heavy episode and longer than I have been trying to keep my episodes recently, but this is a topic that weighs heavily on me and I think it's worth spending some time on. I would love to talk about it more in the future. And I would love it if you wanted to email me or text me if you know me. My email is podcastercatherine at gmail.com. And just have someone to talk to about what you're learning and unlearning about patriarchy. That's totally fine with me. To conclude, I do want to end with a passage from Romans. I think that it will be encouraging and maybe even convicting for us today. And I think it's a beautiful passage to end on. I'm going to read the end of chapter 11 of Romans and completely through chapter 12, so it is going to take a little while, but I would really encourage you to listen to the words and maybe read along if you have your Bible or if you've got the app. I am reading from the NIV version, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12. My friends, I think that these are really healing words from the Lord for me today and I hope they are for you as well. Remember that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world and the pattern of patriarchy is not worth conforming to anyways. I'm going to end in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you are present with us, that you love us. God, please heal us Please make us aware of how patriarchy affects the way that we think and act and believe and speak. I pray that you would do a mighty work within the church, within all churches that are of you. I pray that you would expel patriarchy and instill instead your system. One that is just, righteous, beautiful, one that values women in the way that you do and does not silence them in the way that some men have. God, please let the gifts of women not be suppressed. Please let these gifts be used for your glory, for the glory of your church in gratitude of the sacrifice of Jesus and in faithfulness to the calling you have placed on each of our lives. We love you, Lord. Please do a good work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the revival podcast for millennial women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that my friends blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.